You're listening to the Hound Steve English Podcast, a comfy place to talk about all the great and not-so-great parts of teaching ESL abroad. I'm Steve, and I've got Hal here, too. Howdy. Today, we're talking with Hal. Hal Thomason Wiley. That's our boy's full name. Today, we're going to ask him about how he ended up becoming an ESL teacher abroad, and specifically, what his first year was like. So, stay tuned. All right. So, before I ask you all these wonderful questions, Hal... I can't mm-hmm. let all these listeners know about our teacher membership. Go to houndsofenglish.com, sign up for your first free month of teacher membership, and you can download all of our beautiful, beautiful printable card games, board games, conversation lessons for children, and conversation lessons for adults. Go ahead, check it out. Let me know what you think. And uh, if you have any questions, just email us. All right, how? Um, let's get into it. So you are an ESL teacher abroad, obviously. Yes, sir. How did you get into it? Um, I guess I just uh, graduated with a bachelor's in psychology and uh, really took off from the U.S. like as as quick as I graduated. And where were you going to university? I went to... Um, UAH in Alabama. It's a big engineering school. When you were there, did you ever travel abroad to study or were you ever interested in going abroad at all? Yeah, I guess I I started traveling late in elementary school. So uh, my, my mom took me to a few places like uh, Costa Rica and Spain. So I uh, definitely knew that I wanted to get back abroad. Cool. So that was like a big motivation for you then? Um, yeah, I wouldn't say, yeah, you could say motivation. It was just, I guess I just knew I was unhappy in the U.S. And if if I hadn't been to some other places in the world, I kind of just would accepted that things were kind of crappy and that uh i had a you know I, I maybe would have accepted going into debt studying two to four more years or you know working that first kind of crappy job um but i i was thinking i guess kind of differently Cool. So how did you figure out that you could go teach abroad? Um, yeah, I had, uh, I had, I was pretty clueless, I guess. And, uh, I just had a cousin that mentioned that she had a friend. I mentioned that I wanted to work abroad and she, she mentioned she had a friend that was teaching in Korea and that they absolutely loved it. Yeah. And for our listeners, I might be a little closed-minded, but I really can't imagine folks coming to Korea to teach English before when I did, because it was so popular when I came, or it's just beginning to become popular. So anybody that came before 2013 or 2012, I feel like that was kind of like an unknown situation for people. There wasn't really as much information out there. So what was that like for you? And, and how did your family and your friends talk about you know coming abroad to teach? Yeah, I guess it was... It was kind of still under the radar at that point, and um, I'm uh, I'm from a small town in Tennessee, so 
I think uh, everybody was just encouraging. They were, you know, <laughs> they were all. They're always. I think people in a small town are always happy when somebody gets to escape, go to the the big world out there. So everybody was pretty supportive. Um, of course, they knew absolutely nothing about Korea. They at that point. People didn't know South Korea existed. At least in a lot of the southern U.S., we just knew that North Korea existed because they always would cover uh, that in the media. So, I think in a previous podcast, you told us about your wild tale of you know that long plane flight and then your first day here. Could you recount that a bit for us? Yeah, I just uh, as I mentioned last time, I didn't I didn't know anybody here. I didn't know the language. And uh, when I arrived, uh, they had lost all my luggage. So it was started off with a pretty mad scramble. I just got off the plane and there's an old guy holding a little cardboard sign with my name, name on it. And it was a bit of a tussle with him because he's trying to figure out why I didn't have any luggage. But I didn't know what the heck he was trying to say finally got into his taxi and it's about a over a three hour ride which uh i'd never been in a taxi before and that was kind of unheard of so i didn't know what was happening after i went over the three hour mark and uh yeah and he, he uh, dropped me off in front of a school and there was a a big banner and a and a bunch of people standing out in front of the school so there's a welcome banner just for you Yes, there was. Oh, that's awesome. So what happened after that? I was their, um, only their second English teacher ever. Um, pardon me, what'd you say? What happened after that? Yeah, let me let me give a quick warning to our, our listeners. I, I apologize. We are in the PC Bong yet again, so you're going to hear people yelling at their video games and people throwing back a few drinks, possibly. So it just adds to the ambiance, like I like to say. And if you're good at Korean, you can probably understand what they're saying. But yeah, I was asking, um, what happened at that when you first arrived? Uh, yeah. Um, you want to hear about the rest of that day, or just my? Yeah, just with that day. Like, so you're yeah. in the taxi. You're getting out. You know, it's a completely new situation. Three hours. In yeah. Your first taxi in your first, you know, time being as a teacher abroad. Well, and this was, this was. Uh... 10 to 20 kilometers from North Korea. It was the town right there on the border. It, the only thing in the town was a small Korean army base because it, it's right there at the border. Um, so it's kind of a poor countryside area. I didn't know it at the time, but they had the lowest test scores in the country in this, wow. in this little county. Um, so I, to be honest, when I was looking out the window that last hour the the stuff that i saw reminded me of uh when i was in costa rica um which i was in a poor area in costa rica and so yeah i uh i i didn't realize it didn't seem like a developed country at that time and place i was i was in that kind of setting and then um yeah i didn't have any clothes or anything i've been wearing the same clothes for about three days and they wanted to take me 
out to dinner. Like I said, they were sent in front of the school there. So they, they shuffled me to a restaurant. Um, and I had to take off my shoes and get in a small room with them on the floor. And that was very, very embarrassing. <laughs> that the whole room there had to smell my feet. But I, I didn't, I, if I had a choice, I was not aware of it. Oh man, that's beautiful. That's the best. So what was the first dinner like? That's, that's got me really interested. That, that is all gone. I, all I remember is that just that bit there, like having to take my shoes off and, uh, I'm sure it was a super awkward dinner, but I don't, I don't remember. Um, but I could also add, they, um, they took me, since I didn't have any clothes, they took me, my co-teacher took me to buy a bunch of clothes. It turns out with none of which fit me. I, I have kind of a long arms and long legs. And the, as you know, the, the clothes here, they don't make them the same. So they didn't quite fit me. So, so that night you probably, you, they put you in your apartment, right? What was that like? What was yeah. your first impression? Well, he took me on that quick shopping run to buy all those clothes and then, uh, dropped me off at the um actually it's called a saw tech it's a it's a school owned apartment the public school owns it and so i was so far out in the countryside that they build these little they have these little deals for the teachers so they can live there right at the school because there's not i guess that good of a housing out there so i was literally living about 20 20 to 30 feet from the school the building was just right behind it that i lived in so i loved that i like i just walked walked over to my apartment and it was kind of a a big pretty big size studio um had a pretty nice view of the mountains and uh i loved it like i wanted to get away so i was just a piece of heaven out there away from everybody and everything so you've made it over here you survived a three-hour taxi ride you had that awkward shoeless dinner with your co-workers and you're at home what happened on the next day the next day was buddha's birthday so i know Rhett said he had the world cup <laughs> he got here for i got i got here for buddha's birthday and i was pretty excited about that so my first day was off and uh, yeah, I apologize. I, I don't really know what happened on that day. Or it must have been a really good day then. Yeah, yeah. I just chilled out, you know, recovered from the jet lag. Now, when I first got here, even though I was in a big city, I was pretty scared because I didn't really know how to communicate to people back home that had arrived. I didn't even know really even how to find a PC bong. Uh, internet cafe to even talk to people and I was really scared of using English because I didn't know how rude that would be but you were out really really in the sticks you were about an hour away from the closest city that even had an internet cafe right yeah I think even back then I had uh I was uh jumping wi-fi from the school because again I was so close I think the school had wi-fi maybe I think I just hopped onto their wi-fi there and got an email out and I was all good. 
So what did that first month look like for you? Tell us about, you know, how you adapted to the, the new culture, how you adapted to the new setting, and tell us about the relationships and the people you got to know at school. Well, um, the school and the teachers were all just absolutely thrilled to have me there um, because it's really hard to at that time they had maybe had a fixation on getting a young American teacher but I guess typically um, young Americans wanted to go to Seoul or the big city or they definitely didn't want to go in a small town out next to the uh, demilitarized zone there next to North Korea I didn't really care I and they gave me a bonus pay because of that so I guess you could say like from the starting point, they're really thankful, treated me really well. I had a uh, amazing co-teacher, really experienced. Um, a lot of the teachers will, a lot of the best teachers will go out to those deep countryside um, struggling schools and they get a lot of uh, credit or points in their system to become head teachers or principals. So they'll purposely send like veteran, you know, really qualified teachers out to those schools. Um, so I had a, I had a great co-teacher. Um, I shadowed him for a week. Um, and then they said, uh, they gave me a classroom, just my classroom. Um, and they said, teach. And, uh, I, I had thought, (laughs) I had thought that I would be teaching with somebody. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I really, I really, really struggled. I had, I, I had, I had no skills or idea how to teach, uh, whatsoever. Oh, so they gave you a little rope a dope too. They, uh, they got you there and then set you loose in the classroom by yourself. So you, you said you had Wi-Fi though at that school, which is interesting because it was in the countryside. Well, yeah, you know Korea. I mean, they're they're pretty wired as far as the internet goes, even out in the countryside. So when you realized you were going to be teaching, what were your first steps? Um, well, they, I was pretty well provisioned. I also had a big screen TV. Um, I had, uh, two curriculums. And so I just, they gave me a teacher's book and I, uh, I just followed that. I taught the curriculum really badly. Wow, I didn't know that you had a curriculum or a yeah. course book to use. Actually, the same one. You probably know it. It's, I think even back then, I think it was uh, Let's Go. Really? Yeah, and uh, I should say, they, they, the other problem was they started me out at 30 hours, teaching hours a week, which was great pay but yeah I, I also was teaching an after school program which, which was with uh, JET some kind of a test prep book so I taught that to the after school classes wow so it sounds like your first month of classes were pretty rough really yeah really rough I, I really struggled for probably the entire first year was was really hard for me i um i was 
really bad at behavioral management, especially the younger they got. Like the kindergarten kids were just like little animals running around to me. I, I had no clue what to do. So besides the teaching aspect, what was that first month like for you with the coworkers and the relationships you developed and getting to know not only the countryside in Korea, but you know the rest of this new home country that you have? So they have the Huishik or the uh, dinner culture, uh, drinking work, dinner, drinking culture. So I just kind of, my co-teacher was pretty cool. I hung out with him. We'd go out, eat and drink once or twice a week. And um, that was really enough for me. I would just kind of, it was kind of an adventure just to get on a bus. <laughs> There's only one bus out, out there really. And kind of explore that county. Just like finding a grocery store at, out that far was like a big adventure. At that time, there was no convenience stores. There was no 7-Eleven anything like that so i just had like a you know it felt like like i said it felt kind of like a third world country it was kind of an adventure and um my co-teacher was like hey there's some uh foreign teachers around here some other foreign teachers would you like me to introduce you and i was like it's like yeah that'd be really cool so he drove me into town and that's where i met old andrew Berquist of Arkansas. He'd been here. He was the first teacher in that entire area. And uh, yeah, he was just from a different world. He'd come even way earlier than I had. And uh, there was a crew of like 20 teachers from around the world that they, we were all put out at these random little far country sound countryside towns but they put all the teachers together in this little hub this kind of small town like i said there wasn't any housing out in those in out in the sticks so they put these kind of 20 teachers in this small little town together um america south africa canada uh new zealand ireland so you've got like (laughs) all these young expats out in the way out in the sticks randomly stuck together and so that was just a wonderful kind of adventure to like getting into trouble exploring the the country with those guys and uh yeah the first night they took me to a nore bong or a singing room got pretty drunk we got a pretty big room there's 20 of us crowded in there and uh that, that night i was like this is this is pretty wild. Oh, that's great. So how long into your trip before you met the foreigner group? That that was probably in the first week or two. Wow. Yeah, they my coach really took care of me. And and as you know, like that's kind of what I was about afterwards. Like they the foreigners out there, we really took care of each other and reached out and had a welcome dinner. They had a welcome dinner for me they always had a welcome dinner for any new teacher in the area and, you know, showed them the ropes. Yeah. Not to sound like old fogies, but we constantly, or we, we seem to pretty, pretty often talk about the fact that it's kind of changed the culture of 
the new teacher would come, you get to introduce them around and take care of them. It doesn't really seem to be that way nowadays. People just avoid you. Yeah, it's definitely uh, a different feeling. If I approach somebody in the street now, that's, that's another foreigner. It's kind of like, um, I guess kind of like it would be in the U.S. Like if I were to approach a stranger, they'd just be like, kind of wary like what's up what's, what's this guy what's this guy trying to talk to me definitely definitely so i remember when you lived there you picked up a few hobbies that i think were were pretty much things that you could do on your own and really things that complemented the countryside right so you stacked up a huge library of books and you're just constantly reading and i think you told me about mountain hiking as well can you tell me about what your lifestyle was like in that really isolated countryside town yeah so uh yeah i love that i i read a ton um just because you know i'd get off at five and i lived there right behind the school so it just made sense made sense to go home and and chill and do some reading so and i yeah i had a good bit of that and then the last bus to get where where i lived was like from the nearest small city there jungo where you have the academy i had to catch a bus from there by 10 p.m so even if i was like in in dungdachan where the subway starts i had to leave dungdachan by like uh nine eight or nine p.m just to get home and if i didn't then, you know, I would have had to take a taxi way out there. So I just did my own thing on the weekdays. But on the weekend, I would I would just have to leave for the whole weekend. So I would, because like I said, if, if even if I went out to 9 p.m., I wouldn't be able to get back home. So I would just grab a backpack and uh, one of those uh, one of those other expats in the nearby town, good old John Moscardo. And uh, we'd go to Seoul, go to Hongdae, go to the clubs, go dancing. Um, yeah, sometimes we'd go hiking in the mountains. Uh, we'd go on uh, to music festivals, go on little trips, weekend trips. And then uh, I'd come straggling back on, on late Sunday night. Well, that's great. So after that point, so after that first month, how did your classroom life developed so you said the first year was rough can you just remember and tell us about some anecdotes about that first year and maybe some of the things that you learned or discovered during that first year about teaching well um yeah i guess the government implemented that public school program where they brought in us uh native teachers and around that time was when wayguk uh the website was born and the there weren't that many tools around the tool that was around that everybody was using at that time was powerpoint so i just spent a ton of time making like powerpoint games and powerpoint um uh you know review stuff and there was just a ton of collaboration and some really great stuff that came out of that um 
on Weguk and I like to this day I see a lot of Korean teachers like pulling stuff from that like, time like eight to ten years ago and it just blows away you know these incredible animated Mario games or uh, Zelda you know uh, Pokemon and uh, yeah so yeah I spent most of my time building that stuff to kind of survive in the classroom to keep the kids engaged great great and just for listeners to know remember when you see you're gonna get some uh cameos of excited screams and shouts about killing somebody in battlegrounds it's the ambiance you know all right so i remember that time too those, those games coming around what did you do and do you remember any specific things that you uh, that you made for class at that time? Yeah, I just uh, took a page from from them, and I learned how to build those games with PowerPoint. And um, um, you know, there for the first year, I I did anything and everything like things I'd be ashamed to do now, like crossword puzzles, um, word searches. Uh, just any, I, I tried anything and everything that first year <laughs> that, that I could find. Um, so I did some creative stuff and I also did just like printing anything and everything I could find. There was no Howlin' Steve English at that point. Very true. And you mentioned classroom management. I think that's something that many just kind of struggle with as they continue to teach because I don't know it just seems like people forget like the basics as they continue teaching they forget that oh I should have like a cool down period at the beginning of class to make everybody calm down and sit down and get ready to focus or what did you learn and what are the skills that you took from from classroom management yeah I guess I came up with a pretty good a really good I think behavioral management um system and that's only because I was in a sink or swim, sink or swim situation for a few years there uh, and to this day like I've been to teach in like big um, uh, big chain hogwans even in Seoul and they they're doing stuff like ha- they have a sheet with a little stamp system and the kid gets like 200 stamps and they give them this little rinky-dinky <laughs> plastic toy, and uh, they don't really, and they don't really have a any kind of system in place. They've got like some basic rules and some basic structure, but um, yeah, I just made us. I learned the most important thing is you can't let them speak Korean. So that's was my first rule you can't speak korean in the classroom no shouting stay in your seat stay in your seat is incredibly important because even while you're learning to teach because you don't know what you're doing yet if you can at least keep them in their seats it looks like you know what you're doing so that'll give you (laughs) that three month window to figure out what the heck you're doing if you if you're one of those people that's ended up at these one of these random hogwans and they've just thrown you in the in the shark tank there and you don't know what what to do 
that that's a start. So stay in your seat. No Korean, no shouting, and no touching. Five stars on the board. Make it a, a don't make it individual. Make it a a classroom punishment. So anybody speaks Korean, the whole classroom loses a star collectively. After they lose a few stars, the majority of the the students will be on your side, on the teacher's side, to rein the rest of the students in because you'll also have a reward system in place. And I had a uh, Pokemon dollar system I created, which they could trade the dollars to to get like 10 of the same Pokemon and trade that in. And they had different prizes. Uh, you, You need a... A cheap prize there just for the kids that can't save their money and then you need something for the the kids that like to save to build up to yeah and I, I just I started to put together a behavioral management kind of program like that and I got better at it I bring that up because you showed me this video today of your classroom and you're playing a game and the kids were gesturing and using body language and CPR for for different phrases and different vocab words without giving you any no jam teacher this isn't fun teacher and it seems like you'd not only manage the classroom really well you get them to actually enjoy it and so I think that's some skill that you really must have been developing for years yeah it it really like it took me you know maybe that's just my personality I think a lot of people pick it up faster than me but those first three years those kids really lost out on English I, I learned way more than, than they did I, I had no idea what I was doing um, what you what you saw what you've seen of me is it took actually longer than three years four to five years to, to really find my footing so how did your life change during that first year? So you've told us about the classroom, you told us about the first month and what you've kind of did with your your new expat community. What did the rest of that year look like for you? Uh, what the sorry, frame that frame that for me once again. You've already told us about your first month mm-hmm. and what Korea was like and then how your your business life was like, what your teaching life was like and how your social life was and then you've also told us kind of how your your classroom developed in that first year Mm -hmm. can you tell us more about just how your life changed in that first year um yeah i um i guess it was it was really great for me personally i i spent a lot of i spent a lot of time alone and that that was good after four years of five years of college and um i um yeah i it was it was a good time in my life and my and my family and everybody was wondering well when when are you going to come back home and i I I never once thought of going back home once I once I got settled in there. So I was um Yeah, I just I just got really plugged in and I didn't learn the language um until several years later, but 
I kind of made that my it was it was very much my home. So I think you asked me your question before. When that year was coming to an end, what did you think you were going to do? Oh, I um, yeah, one hundred percent. I I was going to stay at that school. Um, it was just really hard to leave because um, everybody I talked to at the other public schools, they were like, "How you have got it made?" Like I had the best job of anybody I met, even when I went to those big, you know conferences my school just really took care of me uh because they were just so i think it had taken them a long time to even get a teacher to go out there um and so during the summer which i've mentioned this to you in the past like a lot of teachers had to desk warm i did not have to go in they paid me uh for three months and I didn't have to set foot in the school. They just said, uh, stay, stay nearby in case, you know, somebody checks or something comes up and, and then you can hop over here because I was supposed to be at the school. But as you know, we're not Korean teachers, so we didn't actually have any paperwork or anything to do. But they, they made most teachers just kind of sit there and sweat that summer out <laughs> in the classroom. So, I mean, you know, three months paid vacation. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I, did, I couldn't imagine giving that up. Yeah, it's incredible. The three months vacation is, is great. Did you ever use that for anything? Um, yeah, well, that whole, so I had two maybe two months there in the summer all together. And then you know how it is. They split it up. And then I had a month or two in the winter. And then I also had like uh, two or three weeks. Um, I would just travel around Korea, uh, Gangwon-do and Busan. We went on, um, but I, I didn't leave Korea. I would go back to the U.S. for one week every year as well. Oh, someone just got a video game, in case anybody was wondering. That's a little cameo from the PC Bong resident. So, can you tell us a little bit about what your family members, what the people back home were telling you at that point in time? Because I think it's pretty common that we all get these little tugs on us to uh, come back to the real world, to come back home and, and hang out with me, man. Well, yeah, my, my family was afraid I was going to die because North Korea was sending over randomly shooting little missiles this and that and um the america the news the news in the u.s was like south korea is gonna go to war um but i talked to my coworkers. i'd be like we're right here at the <laughs> the, 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 the we're in the d right next to the the demilitarized zone you know they just shot a missile back home they're saying we're gonna, y'all are going to go to war, and my coworkers were just like, "Nah, we've we've been at war for for decades. There's nothing to worry about." Um, so there was really a disconnect there. I couldn't convince anybody back home that that I wasn't in a super dangerous uh, situation when actually 
you know, I felt like it was much more dangerous where I came from other than chilling out, you know, out in the rice fields out in that small town. Um, there was that. And then, um, I just told my friends back home, this is amazing. You guys got to come out here, check this out. So a lot of my friends, um, came, came and visited me and that was pretty cool. So I did, I never, I didn't really get the tug from friends to get back, but my family would, uh, would bother me. I guess it didn't work though, right? So how many years have you, have you stayed? Uh, well, yeah, my mom felt me, made me feel a bit guilty at one point. So after three years at that public school, uh, I went back home and I, I worked at a, um, I tried to resettle in the U.S., but I guess I was too far gone or changed or something had happened. And it was really hard for me to go back to that little town there. And I started a job at a um, rehabilitation. They <laughs> the, uh, the legal age in like Tennessee is like 17 or 18, but in the rest of the country, it's like 19 before you're an adult. So they would send this van out all over the country, like these people that couldn't control their kids anymore. And because the, the age was like a year younger in Tennessee, they were still legally a child. So they would just like literally tackle these kids. Like the, the parents would call this company and they would throw them in a van and drop them off out in this facility out in the middle of the woods where they didn't know how to escape. And then me and these other psych grads would run them through this <laughs> program where they were constantly monitored and monitored and march them around. And uh, I worked 14 hour shifts there. They taught me martial arts. When kids tried to escape, I had to chase them through the woods, tackle them, pin them down, get on a walkie talkie. And they paid me nine fifty an hour. <laughs> to do that yeah, man. and uh yeah i had to buy a car i had no men they said no medical insurance for the first three months um had to get somewhere to stay it just it's it was pretty impossible so i was like i lasted nine months which i'm pretty proud of and i was like <laughs> i'm getting out of here and i considered going to japan or somewhere else but uh I ended up coming back to Korea just because it's so easy and I had so many contacts here. That's great. I think I think a lot of people who do end up staying here for a while or end up uh, coming back have a pretty similar tale. To what you left isn't exactly as good as you remember it being or it isn't as good as compared to what you found in Korea or wherever you're teaching. So do you think there's anything else you'd like to add? Any wisdom, any tidbits that you'd like to tell our uh, listeners? Yeah, yeah. I feel like I've talked too much. kind of uncomfortable to uh, to throw this all out there. So I hope I haven't bored anyone. Um, if I can round that off with some advice or a tip, I would say... Um, Yeah, just um, 
just follow your own compass. That those the mistakes I made were people that were kind of prescribing to me that that life was a certain way or that there are things you should do such as come back home. So if you do find yourself teaching abroad, just you just really you just got to dive into it and and kind of do your own thing and and don't don't listen don't listen to anybody like learn by making your own mistakes um and uh you'll have an amazing time i think that's a great great place to end and al thomas thank you so much for sharing your experience with our uh, listeners today yeah thanks steve any any time and I'd like to also say thank you very much to the denizens of the PC Pong for sharing their little tidbits and letting us know when their character dies whenever they score a kill. That is a much needed layer of personalities to this podcast. We've got the, uh, these guys are pros. Oh, they're going to town over there. I think I saw somebody with gold skin on their gun. I want to know how much you paid for it. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in to the House of English podcast. We're going to continue doing interview series like this. So you've heard me talk, you've heard Hal talk, and you've heard our buddy Rhett Burton talk. He's one of the godfathers of the uh, entrepreneurs, entrepreneur study room owners in Korea. Uh, we're going to continue talking about stuff like that, and we're always going to give you some good advice. Uh, as always, go to houndsgivingless.com, get your hands on some pretty awesome materials. And lately, we've been producing a lot. We'll send you a link for those down below. So... You know, once I get around to updating these descriptions, which I'm not doing that much, my apologies, I will uh, put a download link down there and you get it your hands on whatever our latest, latest All right, thank you for tuning in.